definitely media literacy is so hugely important even before we get into the financial literacy, right? Because you want to ensure that the content that you're reading, that you're digesting, that you're you're going to take action upon is coming from a like a reliable, accurate place. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Welcome back to the most hated F word podcast. This week, we have an exciting guest. We talked to executive editor of Money Sense magazine, Lisa Hannum. Before we get to this episode, I would like to ask if you could spare two to four minutes and head over to Apple Podcast and leave a review. It definitely helps bring in wonderful guests on the show like Lisa. So who is Lisa? Well, as I said, she's the executive editor of MoneySense.ca, which is Canada's most trusted lifestyle brand about all things money. MoneySense.ca helps over 450,000 Canadians every month with personal finance, investing, lifestyle, and more, as I said earlier. I wanted to dive into Lisa's background around journalism because I'm curious about journalism, the intent and the purpose of journalism. Lisa has had over 20 years in journalism, working for Canada's largest glossy magazines, tons of newspapers, and popular websites. As of late, she's one of the leading forces, one of the driving factors behind the success of MoneySense.ca, creating some of the publication's most viewed and sought after articles. I thought it would be wonderful to pick Lisa's brain on what is the purpose and intent of financial journalism? What purpose does it serve? And we really dive into it and I really appreciate her response and her answers to this question. Because at times, it seems like consumers, we might have some distrust in the media. But I really do feel like deep down inside, we have a respect for journalism and we seek to hear their side of the story. And I really think in the financial world, it's extremely helpful. We start to talk about how does journalism change now with the advent of information era and the proliferation of social influencers? And how does journalism evolve and adapt to this world of influencers where hundreds of thousands or millions of people on TikTok, Instagram are claiming they're financial experts, giving information that is really backed by just their own personal experience and isn't backed by much information. We then discuss in a world of sexy clickbaits where at times titles are more important than the content itself. How does financial journalism and money sense in particular retain its trust, its ethics and integrity that it's had for so many years? We also talk about how to tell a compelling story. I really like how Lisa frames her job is to tell other people's story where she's not the center of the story. And we also touch on how Money Sense continues to evolve in this information era to allow free, accessible, and valuable information to over 400,000 readers a month. Lisa touches on how important to remain free is for her and Money Sense. 
I hope you enjoy this conversation because I had a lot of fun picking the brain of someone who works for the largest financial publication company in Canada, Money Sense, to hear the other side of the story, to hear what the financial journalist has to say about the value they bring. And Money Sense, I can't say enough. I've found the magazine, which now has turned into just online, has been so important for me and my journey throughout my money story. So I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Lisa Hannum. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. I like the fact that I'm asking questions to a journalist. I know that's a little unnerving. I got to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how about on my end? I got to think about the questions to ask a journalist. So I got to be on, I got to be sharp. (laughs) So I want to start with journalists, journalism as a whole. I think sometimes we look at the media, we as consumers look at the media and, and get upset about them. Or perhaps that disgruntledness is probably just within our size, within ourselves, and we outlast towards the media. But I think on the par, most people deep down know the media, the press, journalists aren't enemies. They're actually quite valuable to us. That got me thinking about what is the purpose of journalism? I figure I known from growing up and reading what the purpose is, but I thought it'd be a fascinating place to start to ask a journalist, what is the intent of journalism? And what value does it bring? Generally speaking, journalism is to bring to the masses information that might only be for a select few. And so really broadening the conversation of different topics, obviously finance being one of them, and just bringing it to the point, to the table, so to speak, even though you're not supposed to talk about these things at the dinner table, <laughs> but bringing to the table just topics that people should be talking about and really like showing the impact of different people's decisions and how they can affect the masses really and giving a voice to people um, who don't have a seat at the other table, so to speak, right? It serves as two functions in one sense. One is to be a watchdog, to ensure that everyone's best interest is, is being looked after, The other part is to really educate the audiences and getting them up to speed on what's happening in the world. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm going to pick, not pick on, I'm going to pick out a word. You said things that we should be talking about. For sure. Why are these things not being talked about? And why is it journalism's jobs, if it is at all, to start bringing those conversations to the table, to give the person a voice, like you said? Journalists act like a filter in a sense, right? So like, for example, with finance, you have very big decisions on a day-to-day basis made at like the stock market or even like with insurance policies, your paycheck, taxes, everything like that. And so by having journalists accessible to these talks, you're bringing it out to the masses. And like, I think the important thing about having other people talk about it is because it affects us. If, if it doesn't affect us, journalists probably won't cover it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So looking back at yourself, what intrigued you to come into this industry of journalism? Maybe that wasn't the first entrance for you in the, your professional career, but what enticed you to become a journalist? 
I've always wanted to go into journalism. To be honest, I grew up in a household that we all sat around the TV, watched the news together, got passionate about just different things, like certain people running for office and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it was just something that we always talked about and we still do. (laughs) So it's hard for me to imagine a family who doesn't talk about what's in the news. (laughs) Yeah, Like what's new is really not about what happened to me that day. It's really about like, can you believe what's going on? As you started talking about growing up and it sounded like you guys watched the news and exactly what you said about interest in what's going on, I experienced you becoming more excited and your tone elevated quite a bit. (laughs) Walk us through to what is super exciting about your job. What gets you super excited to be in whatever type of story? What is it that makes you so excited? I think every stage through my career, the part that I nerd out the most about is like taking something that I think the average person won't understand. And I'm able to like create an article or a video or any sort of piece of content and really make someone understand it. Like fine print in, sorry, like product fine print, for example, like I don't know that the average person reads it. So I really feel like that's like a really fun part of my job. Even at Money Sense is like going through the details and finding out the little things that most people might not think to look at, or maybe some companies might hide in there. So yeah, I really nerd out over that kind of stuff. That could be like a whole channel, like dispelling the fine print of what the companies don't want you to know. When you find a story, perhaps it's in the financial world, especially, I guess I'll touch on this is from what I understand, you didn't, have a financial background, so to speak, your journalism came into the financial world with money sense. How do you pick up a story, somebody else's story, retell it in a compelling, but yet authentic manner? And and I say this from a perspective of, we all want to be heard. I'm sure we all want our stories to be heard. So we have this like psychological desire to be heard and, and this desire for people to read our articles, but yet we want to maintain the the true authenticity of the story. So how do you blend those two competing needs? It's funny you say that. I feel like we all, especially now with social media, we all feel we have a right to tell our story. And we do, really. It's just whether or not everyone wants to listen to it. (laughs) Um, But to flip what you just said, actually, I think the compelling part comes first. And that's like one of the deciding factors in in recognizing whether there's a story there is like, recognizing how many people would, would relate to this or be interested in this and... So I actually come from a service journalism background, and that means essentially that all of our articles are empowering in some way. It's it's less of a who, what, where. It's much more of a how storytelling on many sense, and even other places I've worked as well. And so with service journalism, like it's really about creating articles and content that empower the the end readers of like how they can take this information and make really good decisions from that and go step by step through what we've written, whether it's to decide on like which credit card or even how to sign up for like a particular kind of insurance. Like if you have like high end stuff that you want insured, I I just dropping some articles that we recently had. (laughs) So yeah, so for me, the compelling part comes first. Now, as far as where the stories come from, that really comes from a wide array of places. So it could be uh, from the actual companies themselves that are launching these products, or it could be that something that we even write in the news or something, there's a trend happening, whether it's like Twitter trends or even like an Ipsos read poll and those kind of things. There's also PR, which I'm sure you're aware of. So the public relations 
they also are part of the storytelling process and like letting journalists know what's upcoming and what's new. But it also comes down to our own personal experiences as well, right? Like I'm sure even with you choosing different stories, there's probably a little bit of interest in yourself that you, of why you want to cover a certain thing in your own podcast, right? I, I kind of <laughs> want to add on that. And that's actually what got me thinking of this because like I feel like I have the entire freedom to do what I want because it's just me. <laughs> Whereas, and so my personal bias comes, like I, I, I am super interested in this financial journalism thing. And that's why I thought it would be interesting to pick your brain. But when I wonder, like when you're with a publication company or publication company that has their own, I guess, theme or their own vision of how their information is distributed, can individual journalist desires and personality conflict or go against odds with the larger publication? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. At the end of the day, we're always thinking of who our reader is and will like the content service them. And so our own perceptions obviously come into play because money touches all of us, right? Mm -hmm. And so if there's like some sort of issue that I've come into or I've noticed, I don't know, I can't even think of an example right now, which is terrible of me, <laughs> but um, chances are there's like a good segment of our audience that it affects as well. You know what I mean? So it's not like as much as like, our financial situations are unique and individual. They are also very, very relatable. Yes. Yes, they are. Speaking of relatable, I think I read this or I heard you on another podcast, but I heard that you um, took a, I guess, a stance to become independent with your relationship with money. Yeah, it was a podcast you were, and you'd been talking about how you didn't want to rely on someone else. You talked about your significant other, how you wanted to make sure that you had your own independency from, I guess, the, the, the financial unit. When you reflect back, where do you think this desire came from within your own money story? I think just even just seeing like how family, my own family even deals with money and then like having my own job when I was in my teens, like, and then to give that up in your thirties, like that's half my life. I've lived dealing with my own paycheck and my own bills to then all of a sudden have to ask Am I allowed to spend this money on something that I want? Or, And then the other thing was, if I buy a gift for my significant other, is it his money that it's coming from? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know definitely for some people, it, like they work better under those circumstances. But for myself, we're just two individual people. And so that is just an extension of it as well. I really like your your answer. And when you said your example of, am I allowed to buy this? Like asking for permission and... I see many cases where that question is asked from either spouse. However, it was set up in a way that it's kind of healthy and it's it, it's okay because there's an understanding that maybe someone takes the lead role, but they're not controlling in that. Whereas where I, I've seen in quite dysfunctional manners when that can I buy this is coming from a deficit place, it's coming from a scared place. And when you were talking on the podcast, it made me think of how I really enjoy what you're doing as a female entering a traditionally, unfortunately, very white male dominated industry that needs to be changed. And it is changing thanks to individuals like yourself. So in preparing for this conversation, I noticed that I heard the sentiment from you, you as you responded to that question. We know this dysfunctional society role is around there that people with power and money tend to be 
older white men, and it's been changing, like I said, but can you touch on how important it is for you being a female who has this belief that you need to take care of your own financial story? How, how important is it this message gets out to other people like yourself or who might not just be the confident in their own money handling skills? I think for some people, it's not necessarily about confidence. It's about communication. People just have different communication styles. So I do want to say that just because people share finances, not everyone is in a power struggle, but some people have just set it up and have a very clear communication with it. Whereas I just didn't even want to be bothered with that whole thing. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so how do I think like, we should communicate this more? Or like, how important is it for you that females like yourself take a stance and don't rely on the man? (laughs) (laughs) I think it, it really applies to everyone. I don't even think you need to be female to like, need to have a deep understanding of where your money is. And if you lose a job or lose a relationship or miss out on a mortgage payment or anything, like how will that affect you at the end of the day? Because the one thing that we have that is certain in life, it's taxes and death. And so relationships aren't certain. Our life plans aren't certain. And so for me and personally, but I think for everyone really, is you really need to know what worst case scenario if all this falls apart, will I still be okay? And that's where I feel I know I will still be okay. So hopefully other people are like planning for that scenario too. Because really like, how can you guarantee that you will be at a certain age retired with this certain pension? Like it's impossible to even predict nowadays, right? There's a lot of guesswork. A lot of guesswork. You make me think of this when you said relationships aren't guaranteed you're right. You look at the statistics on relationships, they are not guaranteed, but our relationship with our own money, that, that's a lifelong one. We can't really get away. So I, I appreciate your perspective on uh, building that confidence. I want to switch towards some things that I read about financial journalism. In preparing, I, I, I started doing some research and I came across a couple interesting research papers that talked about the role, the evolving role of financial journalism. In this one paper, recently the BC government, British Columbia, it's a province in Canada, we have a lot of American listeners, their securities department commissioned a study that found 36% of respondents saying that they'll use social media or online discussion boards at least once a week to get investing information. The data is a little skewed because the older individuals weren't going on as much, but nonetheless, it was 36% of the respondents. So that's quite a bit who go to social media for investing. The reason why I bring this up is because, like everything else, the way we consume financial information is changing, and journalism, I suppose, is changing with social media. Social media has brought the birth of this thing called meme stocks. So for people who don't know what a meme stock is, it's a stock ticker symbol that gains lots of attention, which increases because of social media. That's it. It doesn't look at underlying financial PE ratios, like price to earning ratios, like Warren Buffett always suggested. It's purely a hot stock because of social media. So social media has changed the way people communicate and it's influenced politics, business, world culture, education, and so much more. And personal finance is not exempt to that. How, if anything... Have you noticed the world of journalism adapting to this massive information distribution and consumption on social media? Well, we definitely need that voice on those platforms as journalists. And I think when you're following someone 
on any sort of social channel, regardless of topic, it could be like a mommy influencer versus like a financial influencer. The one thing that you are learning is their story through their lens. And so the way media has to set distinct itself is by not having a single perspective, right? And having more than that singular like lens of looking through what their lessons are as they grow their audience, as they get deeper into whatever topic they're on. So the one thing that I think is really important for a distinction between journalism, social media accounts and influencer accounts is that with the influencer accounts, you're learning along with them. So they're not being fact-checked. Now, I love influencers and I find their content to be incredibly amazing, but I appreciate it for what it is. And it's, it's almost like a friend is telling you, I'm, I'm really into this topic. This is like, a, I'm obsessed with it. This is what I'm learning today. This is what I'm going to do tomorrow. This is how I'm going to plan the future. Here's a quick way to like learn about this, like in 20 seconds or whatever on a TikTok video with a couple of dance moves in. <laughs> but when it comes to like a media social channel, it's really applying it to everyone and not just the person's voice that it's coming from, from a good, like from a good media brand, obviously. You touch on, I think, some important distinctions. And when you bring up this influencer word, which I mean, I don't know how 15 years ago didn't, didn't exist. I don't think so. But uh, not to the degree it does now. But so we have this influencer role. And earlier you touched on, you called uh, journalism the watchdog role. From what I understand, that's keeping people accountable, getting that the story that's not being told to keep like the finance, in our case, financial sector in check. So the intent of those in my non-journalism mind, vastly different. The influencers, like, I'm going to try to get some followers. I'm going to tell my story. I might throw some little twist on it to make it look entertaining. And the traditional watchdog role is to keep society at check in terms of keeping the corporate and financial sectors in check. How does a consumer who's overloaded with information protect themselves from this onslaught of new people who might look like their journalism versus trusted information like Money Sense would have. You bring up a great point. Actually, when we, I know when we were planning to talk, I was looking, we were talking, looking at like financial literacy, but media literacy is just as important when it comes to financial journalism. And this would go across the board from like social media to even just like blogs or websites or pretty much any content that you find online. Really understanding where the voice is coming from and how balanced they are. You will have like different media companies that have their sort of leaning left or right kind of thing. But I still think that's important too, because we need a wide array of voices within all the journalism that we have access to. But yeah, definitely media literacy is so hugely important even before we get into the financial literacy, right? Because you want to ensure that the content that you're reading, that you're digesting, that you're you're going to take action upon is coming from a like a reliable, accurate place. Things like fact-checking are super important. I don't know that a small website or blog or social channel, or sorry, someone on with like a social account will go through the fact-checking process that like that media does. What is the accountability that a journalist is held to in terms of giving content out or information? It really comes down to sources. So like primary sources, as well as live sources, stats and numbers and all that kind of thing. 
as a journalist, I'm not a financial expert in the sense that like I can give you like what you should invest in tomorrow or I can help you like understand something with articles and stuff like that. But my back, I'm a filter. I'm here to like give you the information. So I think that's the where the accountability comes from is that we have to find the best sources to give you the most accurate information. Because if you have a low quality article, it's going to show, you know what I mean? And like our careers depend on it. So you, we really want the top notch sources, the, the best interviews, the best numbers that we're reporting on, all of that stuff. Because at the end of the day, if it's, if it's inaccurate, it doesn't serve anyone. You use the word filter. And I, and I like that because for a lot of people, when I'm thinking about financial education or financial knowledge consumption, we don't always know where to go. And trying to identify the best source to acquire information is a challenge in and itself. And then if you land up on somewhere that there's no filter, there's this power differential that exists that's too bad with people who seem to have money in, or money knowledge and who's don't. And you're just like, okay, I listen. Yeah, that makes sense. And I appreciate this filter that, that journalists have to fulfill because it's protecting the consumer. Now, has there been times as a, as a financial journalist, journalist yourself that this filter is kind of a barrier and maybe that filter isn't allowing you to be as um, creative as possible, whereas this new social media has no barriers, so they have all this creativity? I guess the question is in around, has that filter inhibited journalism to some degree? And they, they're liking this freedom that the influencer has. I do think that there are some very creative and talented journalists. We are, well, most of us, the baseline, we're, we are writers, right? So mm -hmm. there is definitely a creative element to that. But yeah, has it held me back personally? I don't think so. I do really have a standard that I want my content to be. So I'm probably less... I don't know. I'm not like going on every day like a diary or anything on my social media because... At the end of the day, I don't really think that I'm the important part of the story personally. So while, yeah, I do enjoy like the creative content that is out there, but would I quit my job tomorrow to try and do it? I don't think so. <laughs> I like how you said uh, I'm not the main part of the story. No. <laughs> yeah, that I, I think that's a really good distinction, which keeps there's that separation between, to some degree, between your own personal biases when you actually identify as not the main part of the story. And I feel like maybe that's what allow people like yourselves to really bring these stories of other people to life. Yeah, for sure. I would rather tell someone else's story. I'm less interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, the question about, <laughs> about, <laughs> about, about, about your story. So you were writing a lot before uh, Money Sense in the, I think, well-being and um, health. When you came over to Money Sense, what were your initial expectations or, yeah, your expectations writing for a financial media outlet like Money Sense, which, like we said in the intro, 450,000 people a month. So it touches a lot of lives in Canada. What were your initial expectations and have these changed over the years? So my background, while it is varied, it's always been varied. So I've done business writing. I've done technology writing. I did health. I've also done wellness. Women's magazines was definitely a passion of mine. But writing about finance is, is very similar. So because my job is a journalist is to find the story and tell it and make sure that I understand what I'm writing about. And so that 
my readers understand what they're reading about, right? So the jump didn't really seem like too crazy for me. It didn't feel like awkward. I do feel a bit nervous in like talking to other people about finances because writing is just so much more like a cerebral exercise. So it's easier for me to do. But for sure, like it is a very cool topic to dig into. It feels endless to me, which is like really juicy when it comes to a journalist. Like that I, I could really be writing about finance for the rest of my career and learning something new every single day. And I think that's so cool and very awesome. I think that you guys are, a money sense, writing more so, sure, the technical side of money, but the human condition. And that's what you've been doing for your whole career, it sounds like, whether it's health, business, wellness, is we have these challenges of adopting certain things that might be good for us, whether it's health, whether it's our well-being, whether it's our nutrition or money. And, you know, I was browsing some of your articles and because when I first typed in your name, I thought you were with Money Sense and it said, how to stop spotting. I'm like, oh, this is the wrong Lisa. And uh, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh no, look at this great background or like background of areas that interest you. And I think that's super important when you write about any sort of behavior change topic like finances is that to understand the human behavior. And so I, I see you guys as in the human behavior industry as and money just happens to be the topic. <laughs> Well, for sure. And one, and like I said, like service is huge, right? In like doing like the how to's and ranking different products together. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. And I feel, yeah, I'll be doing it forever. <laughs> and I think you talk about the rankings and how to's is a lot of times financial individuals, they might have an extensive amount of technical knowledge in their minds, but articulating that, communicating that, distributing it might not be their strong point. So I think that's this idea of journalists can come in, get the story and make it more accessible for many people. I think is, is such an important role that you have. No, for sure. And we also do have financial experts who can write. Not every financial expert can write, right? <laughs> but we do have like a really solid list of financial experts who can write. We have like Jason Heath, Alan Norman. Um, we have a good roster of financial experts who are nice to edit, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> I refer to Jason's articles quite a bit. He he was a past guest on the show as well. He's amazing. Yeah. He's good at making the articles nice and simple. For sure. In preparing, I came across another our, our research article that I want to get your opinion on. And it, this one was focused on journalism and the, financial journalism and the information age. The title of the article was Financial Journalism in Today's High Frequency News and Information Era. So the findings of the study shows that with the advent of online news in financial journalism came with a lot of dismissal or people being let go, maybe more mature or tenure journalists. And it brought a lot more freelance journalists coming back and a lot of cutbacks in the editorial jobs is what was reported in this paper. And so it went on to say, while these developments allowed for certain situations that enabled more creativity, we kind of touched on creativity earlier, by and large, this study found that this change and more freelancers coming in resulted in having serious concerns about the accuracy, ethics, and values among financial journalism this day, and or like currently and potentially in the future. So let's switch towards money sense. As the editor or the executor editor of Canada's most trusted 
resource, as the title suggests, which I would agree with. What is Money Sense doing? What are you guys doing in a world of sexy clickbait titles where articles are sometimes produced to get more reads and views than the content in itself, where people are trying to get more readers, trying to grab audience? What are you doing in Money Sense to maintain your your tradition of having high high accuracy and ethics for the readers? I think the first point is that we're free. <laughs> yeah. So we don't have a paywall. So all of our information is accessible anytime, anywhere. Just go onto the website. We don't make you sign up for like a month or whatever. Like it's always there and always accessible. And then the second thing, we do have like a full editorial team and we do have expert... I don't want to say an advisory board because... We, they're not technically an advisory board, but we do have sources that we can consult with on a regular basis and just make sure that like what we're covering is accurate, that it's relevant, and that it makes sense. But as far as the clickbaity thing goes, that's really like a science of like creating like a little snippet of a story and leaving one bit out so that you will click it to find out what that is. So I think... Everyone does it and it makes sense because you don't want to give away the story in like a sentence. You know what I mean? But I think what's really important is that it's done well. So when we, when we do create stories that, be, that might say you to learn more, click here kind of thing, that you're actually following through on that and that the, that there is a full article because journalism has changed quite a bit because we used to fight for space on a page and now anything can go up online. You know what I mean? Like, there's space online for pretty much any article you want to write. But what we're really focused on doing is making sure that that it is topical. And so that's the clickbaity part for us is like, is this relevant right now? Are people thinking about this? If we wait a week, will people care? If we don't publish it today, will people care? Do you know what I mean? So it's really about finding that relevancy. And so clickbaity, it's kind of a funny word because it has a bad connotation, but like from... Someone who wants people to click and read, <laughs> we definitely play with tools to make sure that like we're engaging an audience, but it can be cheaply done. It's just making sure that the content on the other side fulfills whatever the person is clicking through for. I like how you say the content on the other side fulfills. And uh, yeah, when you frame it in that context, clickbait makes sense. I mean, it's noisy out there. We want to be heard. So I'm going to put that in there. I know personally, I've grown frustrated when they click it and then I didn't really get what they promised. Exactly. <laughs> How disappointing were you? <laughs> uh, yeah, very disappointed. And then I might not ever click on something again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it sounds like that integrity then, saying, like and for me, integrity is doing what I say. And it sounds like perhaps that's important for money sense is to have integrity in your writing. For sure. And also making sure that the entire story is there because I'm how often have you read an article or I don't know any piece of content really where you were like but they left this out <laughs> I can't believe they didn't talk about that so I have an editorial team of like five or six of us and we really I'm not sure if I'm counting myself or not <laughs> <laughs> really um, focused on like coming at it from every angle whenever I go through an editing process even early in my career I would never like take offense if someone saw a hole in something I was writing because I would think, well, if they saw it, maybe a hundred people who are reading it might see the same thing. So 
going through the whole process of editing, getting other people's perspectives, making sure that more than one set of eyes has been on an article and that it definitely was not the writer's set of eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge part of Money Sense. When I first asked that question, you quickly responded with, it's free. I want yes. to go back to free. Why is that important for Money Sense that it's free and accessible for, I guess, everybody who has the internet? Money Sense is free and we really want to maintain that because we feel in the wide range of audience that we have, because we have like people in their teens all the way up until, gosh, we get questions even from people in their 80s. Not everyone is working and able to maintain a subscription and the subscription is a very competitive area. So we do rely on other sources of income for maintaining the website. So obviously advertising is one of them. And then we do, we have some affiliate links as well, but all that is clearly on every single article. When you read any article on MoneySense, we say where our income is coming from. It's not coming from the, the user because we want the content to be free to everyone because we feel like money touches everyone, even if you don't have it, right? So why should we hide like something that would help someone get out of debt or choose a better product for them, a financial product for them, if they don't have to pay for it? Like it sounds altruistic, but really like it's so important for us to do that. I, I applaud Money Sense for that. It's incredibly important as there's too many financial barriers many people face to ex access information, knowledge. And I appreciate that Money Sense is doing that. And I think by all means, put those affiliate links and marketing on there because you're providing a wonderful source of information that's trusted for many people. We hope so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, certainly. I mean, the, the readership, I guess, is proof in the pudding, they call it. <laughs> proof yeah. in the pudding. I don't even understand <laughs> that saying, but there it is. Well, you can't deny what's in pudding. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? I don't know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when I was letting someone know that I was chatting with you, they asked me to ask a question on, and I don't know if Money Sense does this, but um, it was another financial planner. But what role, if any, do paid articles play in news publications? And does that make sense? So these are ones that someone might, and maybe Money Sense has a lot of them. Maybe that's a revenue source. I don't know. Sorry if I'm naive to this question. But his thought was he read an article and it sounded like, oh, okay, different perspective. But then it was like fine print. It was like, this was paid by someone else. This is basically, it was an advertisement in a way disguised as an article. Oh, you're talking about like add an advertorial kind of thing? That sounds like the word. So uh, he sent me the article. It, it was in a, the Globe and Mail or, yeah, I think so. And then at the bottom, it said like in fine print, this was paid by this company, blah, blah, blah. And basically it was a commercial disguised as an article. Yeah, so hopefully with having that claim at the top that it's not disguised. So it should be clearly communicating with the reader that if there is a brand or an external partner that is paying for that content, so a couple of things that you will get from that. So that is advertorial. And we at Money Sense also have articles like that that we receive income on. But we also do it through an editorial lens. So just because uh, a partner wants to write about something doesn't mean that they get to like just throw it up on Money Sense and then throw their brand on it. We do definitely go through the whole process and like find out what is relevant to our audience and if it's the whole picture. So it is a form of income mm -hmm. for different media brands and it, it is as well for us too. But yeah, it should be clearly communicated. Yeah. And there are different levels of it as well too, right? So there will be some that are essentially just presented by so that the brand just wants to be there because it's topically relevant. I don't know, for example, like we're talking about credit cards and then there's a certain credit card company that would present that. So that 
just makes sense because they want to be top of mind. Oh. It's like when you go to a stadium or yeah. something like that and you yeah. like you see a big ad on a billboard or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's similar. Then you also have a deeper advertorial, which is essentially the brand is paying the media company to write about their product or their service and they're actually involved. So mm-hmm. you won't like see like competitors or anything like that, but it's clearly communicated. It's, it should not be disguised. If it is, then that totally throws the credibility mm-hmm. of whatever media brand is they're talking about. Yeah, and and uh, I wasn't trying to pick at that. I just actually, editorial, I wasn't familiar. I'm not in the print area. So I think it's just important that people are aware. We go back to your, your mission is to provide free information to yep. Canadians. And if this is a way to earn income, I, I think to your point, as long as it's a disclaimer there, then I think it's totally fine. I was just curious. And I, and I thought if I am, maybe other people are as well. No, for sure. The, the last study I talked about, they actually referenced the term watchdog. And you, you talked about watchdog earlier. And so from what I understand from this article is that the watchdog role was to investigate more of a corrective role. And when we, we talk about the financial industry, it's to look at the other side that might not be discussed. And when it framed journalism that way, I thought, yeah, like really, really important role. And the article suggested that journalists take this crucial societal role in acting as watchdog in the financial and corporate sectors. And they went through a whole big study on different outlets and examining this role. And so they they concluded that while most financial journalists who participated in the study considered themselves fulfilling this almost independent watchdog role. When they did the interviews and assessments of over 350 uh, journalists in this research study that examined their daily activities, how they were reporting, how they were disseminating the information, they gathered their data and saw that a lot of their data was what I learned was called self-referenced, which is more so kind of submitting the narrative to to the massives what their larger publication had. Now, I take this article with a grain of salt because it's just an article. My question is around the self-reference. Is that something that you're familiar with? The journalists who write for whatever publication tend to adopt the the perspective or the view or the narrative that the overall publication wants to get out. Oh, so they were influenced by their own Correct, job. yeah, yeah. Hmm. With Money Sense, how, if anything at all, as everything's evolving so quickly, how we read and disseminate information... How is Money Sense aspiring to maintain this watchdog role? Well, I think in one sense that makes us really unique is the service journalism aspect. We are not like a daily newspaper. So actually the whole watchdog methodology is not really a part of Money Sense's mandate because our content is more about the end user. And like, if you read an article, like, are you getting the information that you need to make a better decision? I guess it's kind of in the same way that you would think of like, Before you go to the doctor, what do you do? Try not to Google, but I'll Google. (laughs) Exactly. So hopefully when it comes to, you're going to meet up with like a financial advisor or talk to your mortgage broker or make an insurance claim or something that you're coming to Money Sense first so that when you do meet with them, that you you have a higher baseline than if you were to go in without looking up something. So all of Money Sense's content is really about the whole process of money and less about the whole watchdog aspect. We do some articles like that, but that's just not the type of journalism that we do. So 
you rely more on like the Globe and Mail and the Star for that kind of stuff. I really like that answer. It's like you're you're providing us the wa- consumer the watchdog information when we talk to financial professionals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. You're <laughs> making you the watchdog. <laughs> yeah, and I, I hadn't known about this differentiation between journalism of uh, service, and I, I really like how you you've brought that up a few times today. And I definitely can see that money sense is on that end because. If you Google any question about um, money... What is the TFSA? <laughs> money Sense is up there. So you guys have good Google rankings. But uh, money's up there. And it, yeah, it's easy to read. And you're not... I'm just thinking aloud here about this whole conversation. But you're not pitching a product or service or this specific company. So I think it's wonderful, the service area. Well, thank you. Well, we try. We, we, we work really hard at it. So it's good to see that you're seeing that too. The conversation around Money Sense comes up with many people. So... <laughs> so we thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. As we come to a close here, Googling did not tell me if you have children or not. And my last question might have to be tweaked if you do or do not have children. Do you have children? I do not know. Okay. I have a cat. Does that you have count? A cat. Um, <laughs> maybe not. Probably not. <laughs> but I, I, I got an ad- adaptation. So let's pretend you're at end of life, however that old that is. And you're anywhere in the world could be in Ontario, could be anywhere. But you're on a front porch looking at something that brings you peace. Maybe an ocean, a meadows, a mountain, a cityscape. It doesn't matter. Whatever brings you peace at end of life. And you're sitting on this front porch and you decide to do something that you've always loved to do is write. Instead of writing a letter to your children's children, you decide to write a letter, your last article to Money Sense okay. magazine about what you learned Keys to having a happy, healthy relationship with money. What would some of the themes be of that letter? It would definitely be about knowing where my money is and checking in on it, but also not getting stressed by it and recognizing that it is a tool and not a vehicle, right? It's not pushing me through life. I'm using it to get through life. I like that. That is, that is very well said. <laughs> Well, Lisa, thank you so much for the conversation today and helping us understand the crucial role journalism plays in our uh, society and the wonderful work Money Sense is doing. For people who don't know where to find Money Sense or they want to learn more, what would you say? I would say go to moneysense.ca and sign up for our newsletters because it can be so easy to like forget to go to a website or bookmark it. But if you get it right in your inbox, then... uh, You'll get those clickbaity headlines that will deliver on that will deliver on the promise within the story. <laughs> Do they go through you, all of them? <laughs> yes. And it's free. And how often it's, does that newsletter come out? So we have three newsletters that are weekly. We have a money fit, which is financial literacy. And then we have an invest newsletter, which covers the deeper conversations around investing and the more complicated things that are going on in the world with investing. And then we have our weekly, which is a roundup of the week's recently published articles. Oh, wow. That's great. Okay. Well, everyone hop over to moneysense.ca, pick your adventure you like out of all three of those and enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I was, it was really good to chat with you. My wealth is measured and now I spend my time. Now I read Freedom Story with every breath inhaled. 
Money is not the boat of life, it's just the wind.